Till we're all growing a beard A man's face should never be bare We just want some facial hair We're anticipating Yeah, everyone's waiting for a beard Hey, good morning, everybody. If you listen to the pre-show, there's nothing like going from that lo-fi music to that Behind the Beards intro. This is Behind the Beards. We're glad you joined us. Um, and this is a, a podcast where um, Aaron and I kind of try to pull the curtain back, take a look behind the scenes, and really do our best to reveal the things that go on in the hearts and minds of your ministers and ministry leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have made a little bit of a shift this season, and we're really trying to get into some more practical things not only um, as ministers, but just for our, our Christian community, how we can become more like Christ each and every day and put those things into practice. Um, I'm a family minister, family connections minister. Aaron is a youth minister, and we are in Longview, Texas, the Pine Tree Church of Christ. We're really happy that you've decided to join us here on this podcast. Um, man, it's been some beautiful days here in deep East Texas. Had some days of some sunshine. Finally got a little break from the rain. Had to play a little disc golf this past weekend. Um, and just some, wow. some good stuff going on. going to bring that up, huh? Hey, I wasn't going into details. I'm just saying we got there to it is. go out and play. Mm-hmm. Um, man, how's Sunday night going? I know you had a big deal going Sunday night with your uh, getting your kids ready for the summer. Uh, yeah. It was a pretty exciting time. Yeah, went good. Tell, tell our folks about that. Nah. nah, no, it was good. Uh, no, it went it went really good. We have uh, based off of uh, uh, David Blanchard, uh, and I. He did a class on this so many years ago. I don't even remember how long ago it was, but he did a group on on Sherpa groups uh, or Sherpas, and so we. I've I've kind of tried to run with that here. I dusted that those uh, flyers off that whatever I had from uh, from him, and uh, anyway. We do those. Uh, so we did our last Sherpa groups of uh, the season. Uh, we'll take a break for summer, but we did a foot washing. Uh, and it was kind of cool. I I prepped the teenagers, and I never asked the teenagers to do anything I wouldn't willingly do myself. And so I washed our Sherpa's feet in front of them. But we did it in a different manner um, because they didn't want, um, you know, it's such, it's such a cultural stretch for our kids and for our people to do that. So... We changed it up. I put some buckets on the uh, on the stage and had our Sherpas soak their feet while I gave a little talk. And then I just dried their feet and anointed their feet. Uh, and then they busted off into the Sherpa groups and they kind of talked about that uh, humbling experience and what Jesus really shows in his life as far as service uh, when it comes to washing his apostles' feet uh, while they all soaked their feet in a kiddie pool. And uh, after that, they came in and we did this uh, communion-esque kind of thing with some ice water uh, where they drank it uh, after declaring uh, that they would uh, do an act or multiple acts of service this summer in the places that they're going, whether it be Deer Run or Soul Quest or Netsis Camp or Netsis Days or VBS or really anything that's on the table. So uh, for me, I thought it went really well. Um, and it was really cool. I did not expect how much you want to drink or take a <laughs> sip out of ice water, the cold water that's uh, in your hand, of cold ice water that yeah. you have in your hand. Uh, cause I told them not to take a sip until I told them to. And 
for me, I was like, man, I, I like, I had to stop myself a couple times because I naturally just wanted to be like, like sip it. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of really interesting that, that almost like teaching yourself to crave wanting to serve uh, somebody else or do service. So it was cool. I think it went really well. Uh, we had a good amount. We had like 35 kids there, um, which is about average for us right now. So that is cool. It's uh, it's really important. We have these moments of summertime, especially everybody's mm-hmm. in and out. A lot of people are active. Families are taking mm-hmm. trips. Kids are at camp um, and they're good activities. Uh, but because we're so frequently disconnected from those uh, groups that anchor us and kind of keep us accountable, it's really good to have those things that kind of call us back to the commitment that we live with. So, you know, the emphasis of, Hey, we're going to take this. And then this summer, every time you drink cold water, you're going to be reminded of this commitment that you made. That's what I was hoping Um, for. Yeah, I I think so. I think it's good to have in marriages and families too. And something that we really need to be a little more intentional about. So I was excited to hear about it. I was excited to hear it went well. I think it's a really cool deal. Yeah. Well, well, um, but we are uh, talking today about weakness and vulnerability, two of my favorite mm. things. <laughs> mm. Two of my favorite things. You know, we've been going through emotionally healthy discipleship, and, and that's kind of made me really confront some stuff, some stuff I knew, um, some stuff I knew but didn't do very well. A couple of things, mm-hmm. you know, I was already kind of implementing. Um, but really, it's been a pretty good uh, reminder and a convictor of some things that, and I guess really and truly, it's stuff that we preach and teach a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes to envision how that kind of really comes into practice, um, just as a, as a Christian, but but especially as a minister. So, um, vulnerability. Uh, I guess specifically in talking about leaders, vulnerability is a difficult um, concept, I guess, maybe, to to really kind of put into my head. Because the people that I'm following, um, when I think from a secular point of view, like I think of like Storm and Norman. You know who Storm and Norman is? Maybe a little before your time. Norman Schwarzkopf. You know, he was a he was a leader of the military when we went into Desert Storm um, with, uh, uh, you know, back in the back in the 90s. And I just think about that big, strong, decisive, powerful leader. And it's like, man, when things get mixed up, that's the guy. I'll follow that guy anywhere. Um, And so in our culture, we don't really value meekness or weakness or vulnerability in our leaders. Yeah, I think we've allowed that to kind of come over into our understanding of church leadership. And There's probably a lot of bit of church history that goes into that, you know, in the 90s, yeah. Yeah. early 2000s, you know, where there was the debate wars, uh, you know, and even before that, you know, there's mm-hmm. all these church debates and stuff like that. And so there's this this ideology of like strength, uh, you know, of being right. Um, is so strong that that plays into, you know, that idea that if you are, um, you know, a church leader, that you are, uh, 
there's no vulnerability. There's no cracks. There's mm-hmm. no nothing. There's a line and I walk on it and there ain't nothing else I walk on except for that line, you know, mm-hmm. kind of idea. Yeah. And it's a, man, it's, man, it's such a dangerous place to be. And I've even, mm-hmm. I've even found myself kind of sucks looking at other <laughs> church leaders. I mean, when they get yeah. into moral failure, yeah. Um, there are there are so many, especially early on in my ministry career, I would look at that and I would go, man, if that guy fell in that way, is there any hope for me? Right. Because that's the way we had put our church and our spiritual leaders, our spiritual leaders, our leaders in this place. That's just. It's impossible to fulfill. And I guess the question, and maybe it's twofold, maybe it comes from both places. Maybe as people, we've done that. Um, And as leaders, maybe we've not only accepted that expectation, but maybe there's moments where we've actually encouraged that expectation by some of the things that we do and say and the way that we teach and preach. Uh Um, And so this idea of being vulnerable as a church leader, um, I think it really goes a long way to help letting our people know um, that we're, we're one of you. We're on this struggle together and I may be leading you down the road, but it's not because I've mastered it. Um, it's just because I've been called um, um, to lead you here. And that's kind of where we get into Jesus example of that servant leadership. And hopefully we have shepherds and elders that are being servant leaders. Um, but not only like, what I love about this idea, this concept, is that like one of the things that I always tell our teenagers, what what makes the Bible so believable? What makes the Old Testament stories so believable? And it's because you have these leaders who are absolutely like they fail. Human. They are so human and they fail in such miserable ways. And yet over and over and over, the lesson of the Bible is it doesn't matter about you it matters about god it's not your strength that does anything it's god's strength that kind of pulls us through that and so it's such a hypocritical way of looking at our leaders to go oh our leaders are perfect and we almost elevate them and place them on these pedestals and we're like they don't do anything wrong you know um aaron doesn't ever curse uh in his head or in his heart or even a little bit out loud (laughs) when you know he hits four trees uh, in a Frisbee golf, uh, you know, <laughs> hole, you know, back to back to back. You know, I was joking with some of our boys. I know we were playing, we played this tournament um, and it's such an awesome thing that we've started to do the second year we've done it. And I'm excited that we did it the second year, but two youth ministers, a college minister, and now a family minister, you know, we signed up for this tournament together and we, uh, uh, we just kick off our summer having a fun time playing in a Frisbee golf tournament. And, uh, you know, we get to playing, we're getting really competitive. We're getting in there and I just have like the worst hole of my life. I mean, it's one of those holes where like you, you know, and if you play golf or anything like that, you know, it's like you, you, you hit a bad shot, you try to get out of the bad shot and it gets worse. Right. Uh, and then you try to get out of that bad shot and it gets worse. You get out of that bad shot and it gets worse, you know. And there's a couple moments where, like, you could see the steam coming out of my ears, uh, you know. Uh, and I had to, and it was really cool. It was really cool. My friend KT was there, college minister at Shallow Road, um, in Tyler. And he goes, Hey, 
shake it off. Like, just shake it off. Um, and that didn't help at that's, all. That's not you what know? I was saying. I was saying uh, hit another one. I need all Josh, the room I can get. <laughs> Josh was laughing over there going, yes. I was laughing. Yes. I actually wasn't cheering for you, but uh, I was laughing pretty hard. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but, you know, so there was this moment where, where like, I was super frustrated and I was getting really angry. And I was also extremely proud of myself uh, because I didn't. I, I didn't curse uh, out loud, uh, maybe in my head uh, and that kind of stuff. But, um, but you know, uh, like it's so silly for us to, to place our preachers or place our ministers on these pedestals and saying they are perfect. If I closed his hand in a car door, only blessings would come out of his mouth, you know, kind of an idea. Um, yeah. But, but at the same time, I think as leaders, we are hesitant to embrace that vulnerability and mm-hmm. to show our weakness because we're afraid of being judged by it. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like in that moment when... And that's biblical. You... Right? There's a... there's a, uh, well, What's that verse where it talks about, like, if you're teaching, if you're teaching, uh, you will be judged. Um... Oh, yeah. Uh, where's that? Where is that? Why can't keep talking? I'm gonna find that. Uh, yeah, thanks for letting me finish my thought. I appreciate the permission there. Uh, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh yeah, um, it's hard for us to embrace that because we, I think we're concerned that people are going to kind of look at us and laugh at us. Like in that moment when you hit trees, I'm laughing, and it's easy for you to look and go, "Look at that, he's making fun of me." The truth is, I'm laughing because I've been there. And I know what's going through your head. And I'm like, hey, I'm not alone. Um, mm-hmm. And in a way, it's uh, it's it's funny to me because it's not me going through it. Uh, but it's <laughs> not that I don't understand kind of what's going on there. Um, and so I think that's where we come into recognizing that as leaders, we have to learn to embrace that. And we have to let people kind of yeah. look and laugh and then sit down and say, hey, you know what? This is who I am. I am a human and I am broken, and I am on this road um, to fulfillment in Christ with you. Um, I think the the challenge is what we see is we see a lot of preachers and teachers. Um, as we, I mean, I guess maybe kind of what we talked about before the podcast does fold into this a little bit, because you can use some of that humanity as a way of manipulating people mm-hmm. just to get to an end, not to be yeah. genuine. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like, when I share my failures, um, and I, I did something in class just on Sunday. I shared about a time where I completely missed a boat. I had a lady ask me for a Bible study, and instead of studying the Bible with her, I gave her my card and said, call me when you're ready. Um, I didn't even give her the option of having a Bible study in that moment. Right. Um, I didn't even ask, hey, is now a good time? Um, my motive was, was true, but, but I could have let her decide that it was, she and her friends were there and we were all kind of talking about it. I was actually doing a job for somebody else. That job could have been done another time. Sure. Um, and so, but I I shared that to just let people know, I there's all kinds of times that we fail, but we're defined by how we respond to that failure. How, how do we, what do we learn from it? And do we continue to make that same mistake or the next time it comes up, do we go, man, I, last time this happened, I didn't handle this very well. I'm going to do it differently this time. 
Um, and so it's just a matter of, we want to be genuine with people, not, a not just trying to, to be a means to an end. Yeah, that's true. Or not just like coming up with fake problems just to feel like we can connect, uh, <laughs> you know, with somebody. Right. Yeah. Fake vulnerability. That's always a problem. Fake vulnerability. Always trouble. Um, You know, you see sometimes you can see that like at youth rallies or something like that, where someone is obviously trying too hard to really connect with the youth of today, you know, um, or something like that. Or or exaggerating. Yes. Exaggerating my life. Like I've heard people that I know and I grew up with and they talk about their upbringing. I'm like, bro, we went to school together. Like, right? Like, no, you were, didn't. You, did you didn't go through that. that. I mean, I know it was hard, but it wasn't that hard. Right. Um, that's right. So just being genuine in that, and, and I think recognizing also that being vulnerable, um, and and admitting those moments where we are weak isn't. It doesn't make us less of a leader. Um, yeah, and it's also not like sharing our weaknesses to exploit others in that kind of a sense. And it's also not, you know, praising our weaknesses uh, as well. And so I think for me, like I'm such a skeptical person that anytime somebody gets up there and shares a weakness, it's because you're, you know, you're trying to exploit something or do something. But there is there is a balance here and there is and there also there's an argument to be made for, you know, if you are uh, a leader in a church like maybe you should be like a little bit higher of a moral standard, you know, um, that you should be, um, you know, that's why we have qualities of a, of a deacon and elders, you know, that are listed uh, in the scriptures uh, um, as well. So I'm just trying to think of like other arguments on other sides where people might say, well, but if you are a leader, you should be, you know, striving uh, of a higher moral standard uh, in a sense. Yeah. But, so, I mean, we're not talking about severe moral and ethical failure either, right? I mean, that's true. We're not. Some of it is just simply admitting that we struggle yeah. with things. Yes. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. I mean, I, lust is a temptation for me, greed is a mm-hmm. temptation for me. Like all of these things that, that pull at, um, at all of the people that we are leading also tug at me as well. Um, fame and popularity is a struggle for me to, Mm -hmm. you know, seeking likes, seeking admiration, seeking, you know, a following pride, ego, greed, status. Uh, I I wrestle with these things on a daily basis. Um, and, And sometimes, sometimes they get the best of me. Sometimes they get the best of them. Um, But just admitting you know, that and, and living in the midst of that is so important. Uh, and, and I think it is actually a part of God's real design for us as his people. Um, you know, I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, uh, but right. I always come back to that in, in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. My verse was in James 3, 1. Sorry, that was... Yours, was oh, okay. Um, I was like, what was that? Why can I not quote that? Okay. You know, but where Paul has that thorn in the flesh, he says, hey, three times I've asked for it to be taken, and three times God said, my grace is enough for you. That's right. My, my grace, grace is sufficient. Is sufficient well, that my phrase, power is made perfect in your weakness. That's probably my all-time, like, most favorite 
Like if I could put that in front of me every day, just to remember, um, I think that's actually one of the phrases that I use, uh, for meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a form of meditation where you repeat a phrase and I, that's one of those phrases that helps get me into a meditative state, um, where I'm really like calm and relaxed and trying to listen to God is, is your grace is sufficient for me. Uh, your grace is sufficient for me. Um, mm-hmm. So anytime I hear the word sufficient, it kind of reminds me God's grace is sufficient for me. That's, that's what I need. That's what mm-hmm. I need in life is God's grace. I don't need anything else. Um, that's, that's what I have and that's what I need. Yeah. It's, A lot of tangents um, today. Sorry. That's me. I don't think so. I don't think so. Cause it's, it really is that point where we get to. Uh, yeah. I love the, the phrase that, Scazzaro used was embracing your limp. Oh yeah, part of God's plan. I'm like, oh. mm-hmm. and I think about how many times we we try to shield other people from seeing our weakness. Yeah, yes. Um, instead of <clears throat> surrounding us with people, not to not to hide the weakness, but by saying, "Hey, there are some things that I'm not very good at, and so I need you to come in here and help shore up my weaknesses." And I'm going to put people around me um, to, I don't necessarily necessarily highlight it, but to take care of things that I know that I'm not really designed to take care of. It creates this accountability. It creates, you know, this sense of community as we work together. Um, And I just think of all the ways that I try to um, kind of, kind of gloss over my weaknesses. (laughs) Right. Um, I know some people that are pretty good at reshaping their weaknesses and reframing. I think of Michael Scott, right? When he has his, uh, uh, you know, resume written up and he, um, I consider my weaknesses, my strengths. And he's, you know, my, one of my weaknesses, I, I work too much. Um, I'm too much of a <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm too committed. I work too much. I'm too committed, and I care too much. Um, and it's it's I one hate of the that question. I also like. I don't afraid, know why. Right? I don't know why I always hate that question. Um, uh, when I've interviewed for jobs, like I hate that question too. And maybe I hate it less now. You know, when people are like, "What are your weaknesses?" Um, you know, uh, well, I can get defensive. Uh, real quick, um, I've had some, like, let's be honest here. What are my weaknesses? Um, I can get defensive real quick. Um, I'm too pretty. Uh, no, um, I don't know. I would say that would probably be my, your Josh is like, I don't want to do this. This is, let's move on from this topic. Uh, but yeah, I hate, I always hated that question in, in interviews, but I think it does show some reality and some truth to whoever the person is that you're talking to, whether or not they give you like those real answers um, or they give you um, or they give you like, yeah, those like fake answers. Yeah. Well, in an interview, it's a matter of trust. Yeah. Because yeah. usually in an interview, you're dealing with people that you don't know. Yeah. And you're trying to, to get a job. Right. Or, so or you want to show them your, your absolute yeah. best. And so the question is, can I trust you mm-hmm. with my weakness? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of want to say, so, Hey, what's the follow-up question? Cause I can tell you my weaknesses, but are you going to give me an opportunity to tell you how I, um, protect myself against those 
especially yeah. when it comes to work. Or are you going to use them against me and say, well, that guy's got weaknesses. We're not going to hire him. That's right. Um, well, and ho hopefully we have enough trust. And maybe that's where it begins. It's just building trust with our people mm -hmm. so that we create an environment that allows people um, to admit where they are weak so God can go to work. Mm -hmm. um, that, that may have been my biggest growth point when I moved to Kansas. Um, it was humbling. It was humbling to go into youth ministry because I didn't feel called there. I didn't feel gifted there. I didn't feel um, confident in myself to be able to really um, connect with, uh, with youth. I mean, I know how to deal They're with hard. <clears throat> they are hard. Team, and team what I, rough. Just I mean, what I learned in those, there. you know, five years, two years, you know, part time and three years full time, um, I learned how to do my best and then turn it over and say, here's what I got. Um, it's not enough. And so I need the spirit to show up in some, in some, miraculous ways to do right. something with my meager offering. Um, you know, and he did, um, he did sometimes in miraculous ways. He also did by bringing other people into my life. We had you that came in and Bryce that came in. And Aww. I mean, between the three of us, I mean, we, we put some good stuff out there for those kids. Um, and so, so much yeah. of it centered around just, Hey, we're going to do our best. We're going to cover it in prayer. We're going to turn over to God, and we're going to count on God to, to really move in the lives of these kids, these people That's for right. us. And, That's um, right. And oh. I think there's so much that just comes from being to that place where we just simply yeah. put our best out and then ask God to go to work and do something with it. And just do it. Um, embracing your limp. Uh, I like the you, – you've seen the Kintsugi – Art, Japanese art, haven't you? Man, that's like one of my all-time favorites. And you know, it <laughs> yeah. talks, and I love it when people connect that with jars of clay. You know, we're just jars of clay. Yeah, uh, that's so beautiful and powerful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know you've. Uh, that's an example that you've used for a long time. So when he used it in the book, I was like, oh yeah, Aaron's. Uh, Aaron's used that stuff a lot. I have actually. I just recently. Well, not recently. I think like last summer. Uh, I use that. I use that uh, that imagery. Um, uh, that artwork is so. I've never. No, I don't have any gold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't have I to should, be gold. Hello. Uh, no, I've never. I've never done it before. Um, I've seen people take um, like a photo of themselves, and you rip it up, and then you put it back together, and you uh, on on those rips or whatever you use. Um, like a gold pen uh, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that stuff's really cool. But, uh, so if, if you don't know, uh, if you guess you don't know what it is, we should probably define that or talk about that for our viewers. You're trying to find a picture. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. You can explain it. Uh, so Kasugi and uh, is this, it's this really beautiful art style uh, that uh, is based in, in Japan but it's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending areas uh, that are broken 
um, with a, a lacquer dusted or a mixture of powder with gold or silver or platinum. And so what they do is, is if you have a bowl and you drop it and it shatters everywhere, they put it back together, but the glue and the mending materials that they use to put it back together are more valuable than the bowl itself. So then when the bowl is back together, it looks beautiful. Uh, it looks gorgeous. And the bowl is more valuable than when it was before. So instead of those imperfections, instead of those cracks making the bowl or object cheaper and and worse, which is like how we do things today, uh, instead that bowl has now become extremely more valuable mm-hmm. because of the imperfections that it has. Um, so that's uh, that's what that art style is. So it pairs very nicely when, when we talk about jars of clay uh, and stuff like that. Um, And so then having that uh, wabi sabi is the Japanese phrase. And I I know I butchered that. I apologize. You know, you can obviously tell that I'm not Japanese, but the (laughs) wabi sabi, he, he referenced that idea, but wabi sabi is the view or thought of finding, um, beauty in every aspect of imperfections in nature. So, Mm -hmm. um, and actually this is, has nothing, this kind of connects with that, but uh, you know, when they first originally were doing CGI and they were trying to CGI the human face, the problem that people were having uh, with CGI faces was the fact that they were too perfect. Uh, They were too perfect. And, um, and so nature has this way uh, God has this way of in his creation uh, for like, there's beauty in the imperfections uh, in nature. That's what makes yeah. it beautiful. That's what makes it stand out. That's what makes it this way. If you ever watch Bob Ross and he paints some trees, he's like, it's okay. It can go this way. Oh, we never mess up. These are just happy little <laughs> right. accidents. Happy little accidents. Right? That's right. The imperfections is this Wabi Sabi way of looking at things and going, it's beautiful in its imperfections. Um, the non-Japanese phrase for that, that my mom would use is, oh, it's fine. It's shabby chic. Uh, shabby chic, yeah. <laughs> that is, my mom would say that all the time uh, as we had like weird stuff in our lawn that looked very beautiful and very nice. And people would be like, that's so pretty. How'd you, she's like, oh yeah, that's just my way. It's just shabby chic. Uh, yeah. And so... Awesome. I just now thought of that. That's kind of funny. Well, it's not a it's not a foreign thing either, even yeah. in Western culture. Because, um, what are the most valuable coins? The most valuable mm-hmm. coins are the one where in one printing session there was a mistake in the press. That's right, an imperfection. Mm-hmm. And, and there's an imperfection. There's something that is different. It makes it unique. Um, baseball cards the same way. You can have a card that is of a player that is com- just a common card but if there was a run of prints where there was an error on one of the cards mm-hmm. you know and then every time they would put out something in the in the book there we would the beckett guide i'd be going through all my cards going "Ooh, i have that year you know is mine an error no it was never an error it wasn't that fortunate to have something that valuable um, same so with the, uh, pokemon cards just saying same with people pokemon out there card. very good <laughs> Any card collectors, really. Any coin collectors, all sorts of stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes those things, it gives them a unique quality. And and somehow, 
I think we've we've moved past that when it comes to recognizing humanness. And often in our in our humans that we're following, we expect an, an unfair level of perfection. Yeah. And what we need to recognize is um, both as leaders and as people that there is so much grace to be found in seeing what God mm. can do in the midst of our weakness. Um, there's so much power to be found in seeing what God can do in the midst of my weakness. Mm-hmm. Like I love, I love Moses story. <clears throat> I mean, I, cool. I connect with Moses. He was put in a river when he was a baby. He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter raised in the Pharaoh's palace he was educated in the military, educated in language. He had a position of power and influence in being raised in Pharaoh's house. And so why wouldn't he think that God expected him to deliver the people? Because he was also allowed to, to, to continue to connect with his Hebrew upbringing. And so he says, oh, yeah, God put me here for this. And he takes matters in his own hands. And God says, nope, we're not going on your power. And after 40 years in the desert, when God appears to him in a burning bush, Moses says, hey, I'm not your guy. He says, you weren't ready 40 years ago, um, but now you have all the training, all the skill, and now you have the humility to recognize um, that it's going to be through me that these people are set free. And so then he goes to Egypt and, and delivers Israel. So there's something about that state of humility that just allows God to work mm-hmm. um, that uh, that we strive to be in. Um, Kintsugi and wabi-sabi. Remember it. There's beauty and brokenness. Shabby chic. Um, shabby chic. Find, uh, you know, find the ways in which you can look at that odd, oddities in nature and uh, <clears throat> the things around you and the people around you. Or... Yeah, or in the mirror. Or in the okay. mirror. It's okay go to look in the mirror. That's right. The behind the beard moment is, Aaron, you are beautiful without your beard uh, as well. Um, and But it's it's really That's this good. idea. I think, I think for me, like when I really think of, uh, when I think of those examples, it's the fact that I am a broken pot. And what makes and what makes me so great um, is not the fact that I put myself back together. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that God puts me back together. And when God is woven in between your imperfections and is holding you together by His Spirit and His Word, that's what makes you beautiful. Is is Christ living with you and in your life? And you know how you um, how do you live that way? How do you have that uh, in your life? Well, you do it by practicing Galatians 6.9. You do that by not growing weary and doing good, allowing Christ to use you, allowing the gold and that beautiful of Christ's grace and his mercy and his truth and his power living within you to give you the strength to do something good. And so we're grateful for you all to be here today at Behind the Beards. Whether you're listening or watching later or whatever it is, we're grateful for you to be here today. And we want to challenge you to remember Galatians 6, 9 and do something good. Not in your name, not in your broken pot pieces, uh, but in this beautiful picture 
in which God is created. Josh hates everything I'm saying. Uh, no, I don't. Sure. Just laughing at pot pieces. Pot pieces. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, we love you all. We'll see you next week on Behind the Beards. Last word. Till we're all growing a beard. A man's face should never be bare. We just want some facial hair. We're anticipating, yeah, everyone's waiting for beer.